have lots of friends and the bulk of the friends that I have at this point are, are friends because I met them through one or another of the choirs and the choir that started it for me was the Highs and Lows Choir. So, Welcome to Art Heals, a podcast about arts and mental health and the people who create to heal. In each episode, we'll interview someone who uses art to enhance their own healing or who produces work that helps raise awareness about a variety of mental health challenges. I'm your host, Elaine Zhao, and I'm a mental health consumer and a musician. In this episode, you'll meet Alaric Posey, a Vancouver-based composer and music teacher. Our producer, Earl Peach, and I know Alaric from the highs and lows, a choir that promotes wellness for people with mental health challenges. Alaric is the assistant conductor and manager. I accompany the choir, and Earl conducts it. The choir used to rehearse the Unitarian Church of Vancouver. It's in this pavilion-style sanctuary, where co-producer Serena Renner and I meet Alaric. Well, I'm Alaric Posey, and we're in the sanctuary at the Unitarian Church of Vancouver. And this space, it's a, it's a beautiful church sanctuary. The space has a very light feeling to it. It's not heavy or dark or anything, so... Alaric is wearing a salmon-colored button-up. Around his neck hangs a strip of black stretch fabric with a watch face for a pendant. Serena asks about the unusual timepiece. Oh, my, my funny watch. Well, a uh, long time ago, I was looking to get my watch off my wrist because it was not very comfortable. And also, uh, some people don't believe this is possible, but some people have sweat that rots through cheap watch cases. Uh, so if you see the back of this watch, the back is all stainless steel. But if you look at the, the sides of the case, almost touching your skin is this uh, alloy mm. part. and that, So that will rot through, and actually de- the watch will develop electrical faults from my sweat. <laughs> we walk over to the church stage. Alaric sits on the top step. We ask about his journey to music, which he says begins in Calgary, where he grew up. When I was very young, I was in children's choirs and also the Calgary Boys Choir. Enjoyed choral singing very much. And uh, there weren't very high expectations being placed on me. I was in the soprano section. I had a higher voice. I remember that I would sing uh, the alto parts whenever whenever I felt like it. They were much more interesting. Uh, I learned much later that the choir teacher kept telling my mother, she doesn't know his parts, he keeps singing the the other part. And what I didn't know was that I was supposed to stick to my part. (laughs) Anyway, there there is this uh, idea that still is floating around that you shouldn't sing when your voice breaks. So I thought, well, instead of singing, I'd go into the band. And uh, I wanted to play bassoon. Actually, there is a story around that. My mother uh, made me listen to a whole bunch of records of the different instruments that were available for me to to play in the band and I couldn't decide for a while between the bassoon and the oboe and uh, for for better or worse I eventually chose the bassoon and right away we discovered that my hands were too small for for the bassoon that they had at the school so I had to wait a year I had to play clarinet for a year and then I got to play bassoon. Alaric describes himself as an awkward kid. He liked reading more than socializing and was often bullied. 
But during band practice, all that faded away. He had just one job to do, read and play the music. There were all these people that I knew around me. Um, and uh, so it was a social experience, but I knew where to put myself. I was socially quite inept. Um, and uh, when, when I wasn't in, uh, in the ensemble, back then I usually had my nose buried in a book um, because I knew what to do with myself. But uh, that tended to draw bullying. You know, I remember in high school and I would have my nose buried in a book and people would be shooting spitballs at me. <laughs> so it's uh, difficult to, to concentrate on on that, but band was a whole different thing. The bullying, you know, disappeared for the duration of the rehearsal, and <laughs> and we just made music. And you know, I I knew what my task was. I I knew what to do with my eyes. <laughs> I knew how I was supposed to interact with everybody for for that period of time. So then I played bassoon for a number of years, and. Um, uh, for for some reason, I went into music when I got to university, and I wasn't hugely talented at bassoon. I, I actually had to audition a couple of times to get in, and I was admitted to the music department solely on the basis of the audition. So you had to have good enough marks overall, and you had to audition. And uh, so took a couple of auditions to get in, and then I took a degree in composition and music theory. I was one of not very many bassoon players in the department. So I felt that I really had a responsibility to be in both the wind ensemble and the symphonic band, which were the two wind groups at the university. The schedules for these year after year always precisely coincided with the two university choirs. So the, the schedule wouldn't permit me to be in either of the university choirs. <laughs> for the whole time I was there. Never got to join one of the university choirs. After graduating from the University of Calgary in 1993, Alaric experienced bouts of paranoia and depression. He remembers a few weeks where he barely left the house. He says he felt like he was shut in. So I can remember times when I was very paranoid and I just did not want to go out of my apartment. The, the two seemed to go together. Now, to some extent, there have also been periods where I was just depressed and also didn't go out. Um, but I can vividly remember times when I was inside the apartment and there was somebody um, pressure washing the patio outside the apartment. And, and they just seemed to be taking forever and ever and ever doing it. And I felt they were trying to harass me in some way, but I couldn't do anything about it. And I just hunkered down in the apartment and waited for them to go away. And <laughs> I would definitely tend to stay in and feel a, a powerful reluctance to go out. And uh, I just felt that I had more privacy at home and I wanted my privacy. I don't remember what I did for two weeks, probably read books. I really don't know. I may just have lain, lain in bed and done nothing. but. At the end of about two weeks, I got a phone call from somebody that I'd worked for the previous summer. And uh, they just wanted me to mow lawns at a condo complex. And it wasn't a huge amount of work, but at the end of the first day, I went home just uh, on top of the world because I felt wanted. I felt there was something useful for me to do. 
and uh, that that was very very sharp contrast from being totally depressed the day before and then uh, so actually having work having well again that that role that yeah. I knew what was expected of me and uh, that made a huge difference but this sense of purpose was short-lived by 1994 Alaric's paranoia was getting worse. Now, in 1994, I became quite paranoid. And uh, I won't go into the details, but uh, I was in real distress. Um, and first went to see a family doctor. And uh, um, he referred me to, to a psychiatrist um, whom I saw once. The psychiatrist didn't seem to be very interested in in treating me. Um, he felt I was paranoid, but didn't seem to be interested in treating me. So, <laughs> so I only saw him once. Um, but I became much more distressed as the summer progressed. And by about the end of August, I saw somebody at, uh, I think it's the Canadian Mental Health Association in Calgary, but at a mental health clinic in Calgary. She thought I was in sufficient distress that I should go to an emergency room. So I got on a bus, went to an emergency room. She called ahead and, and then I was there for about a month. Um, they first tried me on haloperidol and they got up to some pretty nasty doses of that without any effect whatsoever on, on my paranoia. Um, and I'm not sure whether it was a change of medication, but around the time of the change of medication, I got to see a friend whom I'd been worrying about, and uh, my friend was okay, and uh, that helped improve my outlook on things a great deal. So, so it may have been that more than the change in medication. I'm not sure, but uh, anyway, they tried me on uh, a different antipsychotic, and. Uh, at a very low dose, that seemed to be helpful. And like I say, I'm honestly not sure whether it was the antipsychotic or, or getting to see my friend and know that she was okay. I remember in uh, 1995, they were trying me on, a, on an antidepressant plus the antipsychotic, and uh, that that seemed to have some, some good effect. So although they, the um, the diagnosis, which originally was paranoid schizophrenia, has has changed over the years and really has been up in the air. Um, but the treatment strategy hasn't changed very much. In the late 1990s, Alaric moved to Vancouver to pursue archival studies at UBC. Here, he built a supportive network of friends and health professionals. But after receiving his master's degree, he left the city for an archivist job at the Saskatchewan Archives Board. The bureaucracy and office environment weren't a good fit. He returned to Vancouver within a year. Little did Alaric know his next move would change his life. I, I managed to get myself out to Vancouver, but I was I was pretty depressed at that point, and uh, started seeing a mental health counselor at Midtown Team. Eventually, a counselor there uh, suggested that I talk to Earl Peach who's the conductor of the Highs and Lows Choir. And she had his phone number. And uh, 
So I phoned him up and he said, well, why don't you come, come by on Tuesday? It's fortunate he put it that way because what happens is I promised I'd be by the next Tuesday. And so instead of waiting several months to work myself up to getting it, I'm fairly good at keeping promises. So there I was. And, uh, and uh, it turns out the music was really fun and really interesting. The idea of singing in a choir stayed with Alaric into adulthood. Serena asks where this deep desire came from. It, it's interesting to me that, that choirs stuck with you since childhood, since you really didn't do them since childhood. I'm wondering yeah. what, what it was or how you knew that you wanted or needed to sing in a choir. Well, that's an interesting observation that I had this desire to sing in choirs again, even though I hadn't done since I was a child. But uh, I was having trouble getting around to auditioning in a choir because... Uh, um, a choir like the cantata singers, they audition at a certain time of year, and, uh, and certainly they would have welcomed a bass who had a good a baritone, actually, who had a decent sense of pitch, but uh, um, but I would need to audition. I'd need to come up with two contrasting pieces and sing those and do a bit of sight reading, and uh, getting those two contrasting pieces up to a point where I wanted to sing them for other people was not happening and there was only this short window every year when when I could be auditioned. I guess I'm curious to know yeah. um, how you knew or, or why you felt you needed or to join a choir. Yeah. And yeah. I am not sure. I'm honestly not sure. Alaric kept his promise. He showed up for the highs and lows rehearsal the following Tuesday. He remembers being welcomed by the choir managers and the conductor, Earl Peach. I remember Earl asked me, can you sing this for me? And he, he sang something which was a round that he'd written. It had interesting syncopations and it was you know, a nice melody and I sang that back to him and he seemed fairly pleased and put me in the bass section. And uh, right away I was having a good time. And then that was a dress rehearsal for for a concert that they were having at the PNE the next Sunday. So I got to enjoy the concert experience right away. And I enjoyed the performance. I enjoyed the quality of the performance. That had been my big worry about a non-audition choir. When, you know, is it, is it really any fun to hear this choir? But it turned out it really was. And then I was kind of hooked on the highs and lows after that. Yeah. I was really welcomed. And it was uh, very low-key, there was no forced cheerfulness about it or anything. And um, and right away, this feature of the choir that it's all people who have different experiences with mental health problems, but um, it's not about mental health problems. It's just about being together and singing. So, so you could just relax in that, in that setting. Um, other choirs that I've been in since, um, I can't relax in exactly the same way because, you know, I'm kind of the only guy who hasn't really had a career. And, um, so, so there's one choir I'm in called High Spirits that has lots of people who are currently employed and some of them in, in fairly powerful jobs, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm 
know, I teach music theory. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't fit in quite as well to those settings as I do at the highs and lows. So I'm glad I'm singing those other choirs too. So for those who aren't as familiar, what does it mean to be in a mental health choir? I'm so glad that there is the highs and lows choir because it feels, it feels like home. I know from books that were written in the 1990s, um, the, in, in the 1990s particularly, people were waking up to the fact that singing can be very helpful for people and they were reintegrating people with severe disabilities back into their church choirs that they'd been part of. And That's great if you're in a church choir, but if you're not, um, it's nice to have another choir that, that you can be part of. Um, now, it's, it's also a community of other people who we just have this sense of, of mutual understanding of, of what life is like um, with mental health problems, um, with, you know, medications, with various treatment plans and treatment providers. And um, there, sometimes we talk about those things with each other. Um, not not always, but there is this sort of mutual understanding of what that's like. Yeah, so there's a sense of support and understanding. Yeah, support yeah. and understanding, yeah. Whereas other people would, you know, if you got around the water cooler at a workplace, you'd find people who know what it's like having a 9-to-5 job and, and a boss in a 9-to-5 job. And, you know, they, they require support and understanding too, but... Uh, you know, it's a different community, so so the understanding is different. So, Besides being a singer, player, arranger, and conductor, Alaric is also a music lover. Here he talks about some of his favorite music and why it's important to him. I can fairly easily think of favorite pieces of music, so I have, I, I can think of a favorite symphony, which is Hindemith's Symphony Matis der Mahler. I, I have a favorite Bach cantata, uh, which is the BWV-8, and that's, I'm sure that's largely sentimental, that it's one that I grew up listening to. It was on the record shelf, and I listened to it many, many times. And I ask about his favorite highs and lows songs to sing. Songs that I really enjoyed singing. Uh, some of the, the Renaissance music. Um... There is that bass carol, I Saw a Maiden, mm -hmm. which is just gorgeous. For some reason, a favorite is not coming to me. <laughs> it's like asking me, what is your favorite composer? And that's, um, that's very difficult. Right. But for some reason, favorite symphony, something comes to me. Matisse mm -hmm. Mahler comes to me. But, but then the, the next favorite symphony down would be probably Shostakovich 10. So so my favorite pieces aren't all by one composer, I guess. So Matisse der Mahler is really uplifting. Um, the first movement is um, inspired by Matthias' painting of A Concert of Angels. Mm -hmm. 
it's called Engel concert, naturally. Um, and Hindemith paints that scene. Um, so it's it's very uplifting and beautiful. I'm not coming I'm not coming up with a lot of words here. Um, then then the BW eight cantata is um, well it's also uplifting and beautiful. But um, I find uh, the wind parts are are really fun. It's got a very fun bassoon part. Um, it's very bouncy. It goes bum 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. And it's just fun, and uh, and uh, at the at the end, the final chorus is just um, just wonderful. The outer voices of the chorus are very simple, so the the soprano line is very simple, and the bass line is is fairly simple. But the inner voices do really interesting things to color it. And the, the effect is that um, it has a richness to it. But at the same time, the broad outlines of it are very, very simple. So uh, you, you have a feeling that you know where to put yourself in relation to that music. Since I've known you, you've served in pretty much every choir physician, starting as a choirster, and then working your way up to assistant conductor and manager. In your other choirs, you often volunteer as section lead and help fellow singers. So what keeps you motivated and inspired to take these leadership roles? Um, well, what's inspired me to take the leadership roles is that I've been asked to do them and it seemed like there's been a need for for that. I guess it's this feeling of being needed. Um, so it's not just that I've been asked to do these things, but but there's this feeling that I'm needed to do them. Okay, so just I guess bringing us up to date with the COVID-19, it's been really hard mm. on the choirs. Mm -hmm. The highs and lows have been meeting on Zoom, but still can't sing together because of the heightened risks. How have you been faring in this time? Well, I've I have a lot of experience being alone in my apartment, so um, in a way that hasn't been a great hardship. I've been getting a lot less exercise, which is probably not a good thing. Um, just there, there are a lot fewer places for me to bike and walk during the week and there's a big motivation to just stay in because that's said to be helpful <laughs> so fair enough so how do you keep in contact like with friends during this social distancing time by phone predominantly by phone there are a number of members of the choir and former members of the choir that I phone on a fairly regular basis um, just to see how they're doing and, and to chat and uh, needless to say, these people are also friends. They're not just members of the choir to me. Um, yeah, I do miss singing together. <laughs> it's, it's, and I especially miss it when we have our Zoom meetings because a Zoom meeting is really a little bit exhausting. Um, and singing together is kind of the opposite. Singing together, even if you're only in one choir, singing together once a week kind of makes your week um, 
Yeah, I do miss that. Yeah, me too. So looking back, how has being in the highs and lows choir helped you actually heal, like mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Well, it's provided a feeling of acceptance of, of who I am, that I'm still needed and wanted. Um, even though there, there were all these places in the past where I didn't fit in, where I didn't feel wanted, now I have a place where I feel wanted and needed. But I still am socially awkward. I still have those moments where I can't seem to say the right thing. Um, but I think partially because the choir has given me a lot of practice being in a setting where where I am accepted as who I am. Um, I've gotten less socially awkward just from from getting to have friendships with other choristers. But if you never if you never get that situation where you're accepted, then you don't don't really get to have the opportunity to practice in in a relaxed social setting. So, so it's done that for me. Um, I have lots of friends, and the bulk of the friends that I have at this point are, are friends because I met them through one or another of the choirs. And the choir that started it for me was the Highs and Lows Choir. So, and I, I have more friends now than I could have imagined having when I was in university. I was really pretty isolated. And it's not that there weren't people who, who liked me, but, you know, friends that I can just, that I can call up and have a chat with. At the end of our interview, Serena jumps in with a final question. It's about Alaric's longtime struggles with societal expectations around traditional work. I guess I'm, I'm curious to know if you feel like you have a, a purpose now. Yeah, I do feel like I have a purpose now. And that's got a lot to do with the choir. And to my surprise, it's closer to, to where I started out my journey than I expected. You know, I've tried things that I'm not that talented at in the past. And um, I've tried being in, in settings where I just didn't belong. So it's, it's really nice to find a sense of belonging in music. It's for many years I thought I would have to find a sense of belonging somewhere else. That's our show. Check back every month for a new episode which will open your mind about the healing powers of art. This show is based in Vancouver, British Columbia, but we'd love to connect wherever you are. If you know of someone working at the intersection of arts and mental health, please let us know. Our email address is arthillspodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think of the show and how you found us. Art Heals is produced by Earl Peach, writing and direction by Serena Renner. Laurence Richard is our web guru, and I'm your host, Elaine Joe. Until next time, remember this quote from French artist Georges Braque, Art is a wound turned into light.